Good morning, church. I've got my coffee here, ready for our chat. I'm excited to be on this side of the uh, worship instead of usually I'm on the other side. And you thought you could get away from me, and here I am. Uh, ignore the... I got super sunburned this week, so just ignore the face blisters. But I'm so excited. Today, we're, at, we're in our fourth week. I can't believe how quickly this has gone. We're in our fourth week of our series on questions about Jesus. And today, I am excited to get to chat to you guys about miracles. Now, already, when I say miracles, something's probably already popped into your head. And you might be thinking maybe something like one of those classic stories in the Bible where God does some unimaginable thing like that might be like blind people being able to see, you know, the old mud in the eyes trick or um, seas being parted or the classic dead coming back to life. Uh, not only Jesus, which we're all, all familiar with, but all, you know, that's happened in other cases as well. Some of you, when I say we're talking about miracles, uh, maybe you're thinking of miracles that have happened in your own life. Um, something that's you thought, I can't believe that this has happened or something that your family member or, or friend has experienced. Um, and that might be the first thing that jumps into your mind. And other of you, um, when I say miracles, you, your first thought is, well, it sounds a little bit far-fetched for me. Now, all of you are right because Miracles, by definition, are unimaginable. They're rare. They are far-fetched. And if they weren't hard to believe, uh, they would be ordinary and they would lack any sort of divine purpose. And when I, when I think about miracles, I just, funnily enough, I think all the way back to the beginning. It says, in, in the beginning, God created everything. Then verse 31 of Genesis says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Genesis 1. God handcrafted and set into motion the most magnificent and awe-inspiring universe and all of the natural laws that are a part of it. And he called those very good he doesn't need to reach in and change those laws because the, the, he created, the laws that he created. He doesn't change those very often because they're already good. So when he has and when he does, it's to grab people's attention. It's to make us listen in and to see what God is doing and to hear the message that he is giving it's always for a very particular purpose when God brings about miracles in our world. Let's talk about them. So can miracles exist in a world of science? Now, if you've seen me on the screen before, you know I love talking about science. Every week I'm talking about space and talking about weird natural things that happen. I'm a big fan of science. And in a world of science... Um, Miracles, unfortunately, are quickly named either unexplainable or impossible. But funnily enough, these are both sort of true. That The explanation of miracles is that there is a divine God that orchestrates and uses them. They're, they're seemingly impossible feats. Miracles, is, you look at them and you think that can't possibly happen. But again... 
That's exactly why we call them miracles, because they shouldn't be possible. That's the, that's by definition, they need to be rare and unexplainable. And so it's not fair for us to punish miracles or the idea of miracles because they're rare. So we authenticate the miracles that we know about using science. It's never, it's never miracles versus science or how can we live with miracles in a world of science it's a it's the wrong we're starting with the wrong question science is a tool that we use to learn about the world around us it testing it researching it and studying it science is a good thing because it helps us to see more of creation that god has gifted us and we don't need to be afraid of science because Science helps to reveal more of the unbelievable, miraculous universe that our God has created. So, when we talk about miracles today, we're presuming that there is a God. And um, evidence for God is something that we've talked about in previous weeks. So, I'm not going to talk about that today. However, even if you took God out of the picture altogether, things like the creation of the universe... Um, and the statistical impossibility of earth or, or life existing at all are still unexplainable miracles. Even without God, miracles uh, undeniably have happened. But who gets to decide whether a natural law, like something coming out of nothing, can or can't be broken? Now, when we talk about miracles, often the first thing people say is, is like some natural laws are unchangeable and, you know, this cannot become this. It's impossible. Who's Who decided that truth? Who set that in stone? And if we have enough evidence to say that those that has changed into that, well, maybe that is exactly the, the answer to the question of whether or not it can happen. And if, if there are recorded events in history where these laws are broken, perhaps there is a creator of those natural laws who did it for a very specific purpose. And if we look at miracles scientifically, which is not ruling out the possibility of God, which all good non-biased research should, should do, considering all options, then a divine author starts actually making the best sense rare, seemingly impossible events that cannot have happened, and yet they have happened. Knowing that God created these miracles isn't about just getting a sort of answer for them, but it, it gives those miracles a beautiful purpose. So why, why, even, why are there miracles? When miracles happen, only God knows how he did it, but he always gives us why he did it. Take the turning of water into wine, or in, in my case, take the turning of coffee into wine. Oh, no, I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to try to turn this coffee into wine. And not because I don't think that God could do it, but because if he did do it, it would be, be way too distracting for me in, in this message. Still coffee. <laughs> but John chapter 2 tells the story of when Jesus, uh, his mum and his disciples go to a wedding in Cana. 
It's one of the most famous stories of Jesus. Um, and something disgraceful happens at that wedding, disgraceful in that particular culture um, for the hosts. They run out of wine. And from verse 7, it says, Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. And he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. And so they did. And then the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He didn't realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everybody brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had a lot to drink. But you have saved the best wine until now. And what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Now, the chemical compound of water, hey, sure, cannot become the chemical compound of wine without adding grapes and fermenting them and whatever. Just the water in a glass, or in this case, a jar, just turning into wine, the chemical compound changing, it breaks the laws of nature, things that can't be changed in our environment. It can't happen. And yet, it did. We know it did because this story was written and people were still alive when it was written. It would have been shut down quickly by all of the people that were at that wedding if it wasn't true. And we know because the story isn't embellished like legends and myths that were written in the same era. We know that this story happened because writers opposed to Christianity talk about the wonders of Jesus and the things that he performed, the miracles that he, that happened around him. And we know that because miracles made people want to kill Jesus. So why would Jesus keep doing them? And we know because if it was supposed to be a spectacle for, for a show, if it was some sort of magician, Jesus wouldn't have kept telling people to stay quiet and don't tell any, anybody about what's happened today um, whenever he performs a miracle on someone. It's So only God knows how he changed the water into wine. We don't know how H2O became wine that day, only that God did it. How? We don't know. It's a miracle. But the significance of the miracle isn't in the how. It's in the why. Because that, that water being turned into wine on a small scale saved the hosts of the wedding from a dishonor and instead changed that into an even greater honor by it being an even better wine than what was planned. And, and deeper than that, this miracle launched the, the whole ministry of Jesus into action by revealing his divinity to his disciples. It had this glorious purpose. And if we get distracted by how did water become wine, sometimes that can take away from the whole point of God performing a miracle for a purpose. The why, like most miracles, was to authenticate a message or a messenger of God so that people knew that what that person had to say was divinely inspired. It authenticated them. They can trust 
the words of an authentic miracle worker because it has to be God working with them because there's no other way for the miracle to have happened. The miracle tells them to listen in. It was less about how did Jesus turn water into wine and more about if Jesus can turn water into wine, what does Jesus have to say? And that is the why. So another question that often comes up is, could miracles just be a coincidence? Is it miracles or is it just a coincidence? And I've been talking about what scripture would call signs and wonders. These are uh, There's a distinction that I'd really like to make between two kinds of miracles. The first kind is the water into wine, the, the walking on the lake without sinking. Impossible. Bodies of water being separated by Elijah, Elisha, and of course, Moses, parting the seas. These breaking the natural laws miracles are impossible without it being a work of God. It would be like, for example, a modern day, it would be, it'd be a huge surprise car bill all of a sudden jumping up on you and you, you you can't pay it, it's, and it's a thousand dollars bill, and you, if your bank account, your money's coming in later or whatever, and you've got no money to pay it, and it needs to be paid today, and you need to pay it immediately, but you don't have the funds. Then out of, and you're praying, you're saying, God, I ask like for a thousand dollars to, uh, I, you know, I need the money today, and then out of thin air, ten crisp one like hundred dollar bills manifest themselves and float gently down onto the table in front of you as you pray and you watch. So it's it's impossible for money to just appear out of thin air, literally. These are particularly rare miracles and, and could never have a how for them. But the second kind of miracle is what I like to call a providence miracle. And these are where God works within the bounds of those good, very good laws of nature that he created. And even even though it's so unlikely that it would happen, and it's clearly God because it's a result of a need or prayer. And, and skeptics would say that these providence miracles are down to some unrealistic chance. This would be like uh, Daniel not being eaten by lions in the den in Daniel 6. It's super unlikely that he wouldn't get eaten by lions that have been starved and that are very familiar with what I like to call people food. But it's it's not impossible, technically, for the lions to not want to eat him. Nonetheless, we know that it was God, that, that there's a clear why behind that miracle. And putting it Putting it down to chance seems even more unbelievable than putting it down to a God that wanted to redeem and save Daniel for a purpose. That's providence. And in 1 Kings 17, there's a, there's a, a drought that lasts for years. And at the start, Elijah says uh, that when he commands the rain to come, it will. And, and years pass, no rain. And then on a clear sky, hot day, Elijah prayed for rain. And you guessed it, big black clouds start rolling in and it rains. Now, the likelihood of it happening right after 
Elijah prayed for rain is ridiculous. It's it's so clearly from God, even though it could technically just be the luckiest call ever. And just after years on the day that he prayed, when he said that it would take him praying for rain to come, then rain comes. Like minuscule chance, but it's God working within the laws that he's created. And in our thousand dollar bill example, it would be praying and then a rich stranger knocks on your door and gives you ten hundred dollar notes because God told them to. And somebody could say like, oh, it's it was chance that he happened to knock on your door and give you a thousand dollars. You know, it's that's not a miracle. That's what we know is a miracle. It's the exact amount that you needed. And it happened right as you prayed. And the odds of that happening are next to none. It's a providence. It's it's clearly God working. It's clearly God working within the laws that he created. And you know that it's God working within his creation. And with the new study of quantum mechanics, our understanding of the universe on a molecular level has made our understanding of the like the whole world around us, it's made it even more complex. And miracles are even more aligned with science. Remember, it's not miracles versus science. All it's all science is doing is proving that God has made the world serviceable for his works from the very beginning. Now, he's been laying the path for the greatest story ever made. And it's a story that he's been writing since the very first miracle, which was creation, and a story that God wants us to be a part of, even today. Bringing me to, do miracles happen today? Christ followers believe beyond doubt that miracles do happen. And a Christian researcher, uh, Dr. Craig Keener, uh, critically investigated miracle claims from around the world in 2011, and 200 million people That's one in every 35 people around the world at the time had experienced an extraordinary event unacquainted for by modern science understandings and in direct response to prayer. One in 35 people had experienced a miracle. However, if every prayer for a miracle was answered, it would be chaos and God's plan to gently woo us towards him would be distracted by the certainty of him. And I'm not going to pretend to know why miracles don't happen every time we ask, because I don't know. But we know that the end of the story is that God, that God is unraveling slowly, is one filled with restoration. And the Gospels record Jesus performing at least, at least 19 healings and even bringing people back to the dead. And even the people that he brought back to life from death aren't still alive today. And that's because it was never a show of how good the healed were, but how good the healer was. It's, it's about our relationship to Jesus, not the miracles that he performs. And sometimes the miracle is performed by counsellors or doctors, and sometimes the miracle is yet to come when Jesus returns to heal all of creation. And Revelations 21 shows us this, uh, saying, Look, 
God dwelling, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And that is our hope. For now, we can lean into God, listen and choose to be the divine providence that somebody else needs. And God loves it when we talk to him and ask for things. Uh, and he especially loves it when we remind him that we love him and offer ourselves to be used in his story. And how he uses us often doesn't happen how we would expect or sometimes even how we would like. And if I was asked to give somebody a thousand dollars, even if I was rich, some random stranger, you know, putting myself in the shoes of the person driving past, the stranger, and God asking me, like, hey, I should pull over and give this person a thousand dollars. I'd be hesitant, to say the least. Uh, and it's it's easy to put ourselves into the shoes of the person receiving the miracle. But God can use you as the miracle for others just as often. And sometimes even the smallest of acts like shouting someone's coffee or being the first to apologize after such a long time or taking that left turn to go visit your grandma on the way home. It's, it's those little things that end up being miracles in people's lives. And we so often don't need a, a huge show of power to be a miracle for somebody. And we can bring God to the people in our lives without a show of power. Instead, with a show of kindness, of faith and choice. And we might not know how we knew to help somebody, but we know why we helped them. That's clear. The moment that they say with tears in their eyes, I really needed this. So lean into God and listen closely for how you can be the miracle that somebody else needs this week. May God bless you and may you bless others. Love you.